go back. She's got a different. What? Oh, sorry. Yeah. Okay. Hi. Welcome to the gym. This bi-weekly podcast is about the many and varied schemes of the many and varied U.S. law enforcement and intelligence agencies, organizations, and committees, and how they are stupid and funny. <laughs> Join us on our merry journey through space and time. Hi, my name is Barry. You might know me as the bit that sticks out at the top of Florida. <laughs> Hi, everybody. Uh, I'm Seamus. Uh, you may know me uh, from the documentary Schmigma, Nature's Curious Waste. Oh, Seamus. But children are watching this. No, they're not. All right. Besides, they, they everybody needs to know about just it. Just click the button. It's not for kids on the YouTube upload. Okay. Yeah, just, just you know, you gotta wipe. You gotta clean. No, oh, no, don't you make know. it worse. <laughs> what? It's like a PSA. Okay. Today, uh, we are going to Australia. Good eye. Right? Hey! Australia, Australia, land of giant scary animals run by the descendants of the dregs of English and Irish society. Um, what could possibly go wrong? No, I'm, being, I'm being unkind. Australia's fine. Some of my best, some of my, I know people who live in Australia. But in 19, 1975, the year I was born, they had the greatest political and constitutional crisis in Australian history. Which might be saying something like, like I don't know, he's like the tallest dwarf or something. But they did, in fact, have the greatest political and constitutional crisis in Australian history. So I'm going to give you the background, and then we're going to have a talk about it, all right? Awesome. After decades of conservative coalition governments, the Labour Party, under Gough Whitlam, won the 1972 Australian general election. Wait, that's Gough, is it? Yep. All right, Gough, how you doing, bud? Uh, anyway, he won the 1972 Australian general election. While they won comfortably in the lower house... The Senate, the upper house, stayed conservative. In 1974, the Senate kept voting down every bill Labour wanted to pass. They kept sending it up, and the Senate kept slapping it down. The Conservatives in the Senate refused to accept the clear will of the people as expressed in the general election. And sick of the stonewalling, Whitlam asked the Governor-General to call a double dissolution election. Right? Now that's a sentence, and a lot of you will already be lost, because when I read that sentence first in Wikipedia, I was lost. So I'm going to try and crack it down <laughs> as much as I can. Um, in 1975, the Governor-General of Australia is the Queen's representative in Australia. Uh, of the Queen of England, by the way, her representative in Australia, she apparently needs a representative in Australia who has some political power. Mm -hmm. he's, he's the Governor-General. Um, he doesn't, a lot of his functions are ceremonial. For instance, he's the commander of the Australian Army, but I'm pretty sure nobody's going to come to him for military advice, right? Um, however, he also appoints ministers, judges and ambassadors and for our purposes today he issues election writs so he writes the legal orders to hold elections now again this would be largely a ceremonial thing whenever there's an election he just sign a piece of paper and that would be the end of it that's so it's already been decided right he just kind of yeah yeah this, yeah, is, all, this, is, just, this is just a ceremonial thing but it is yeah. in the laws now gotcha. that's him a double dissolution election is a very peculiar australian thing if bills continually get bounced off the senate the Prime Minister can call one of these elections a double dissolution election, which will automatically dissolve both the House of Representatives and the Senate, right? Double dissolution. After this election, if the legislation is still stopped by the Senate, meaning you have another election and you assume you, get, you try to get the numbers, right? If, if after this election, the legislation is still stopped by the Senate, there is a joint sitting of both houses, a joint session. And if the laws that bounced off the Senate then stick, they are legally deemed to have been passed by the Senate, even though they haven't. That's just a peculiar law thing. But otherwise, the House of Representatives will be throwing legislation at brick wall forever. There have been seven double dissolution elections in um, Australian history, but only one joint session, which is this one. Right? Okay. Now, Whitlam, in hindsight, uh, perhaps our overly naive Labour Prime Minister, 
asked the governor general to call a double dissolution election. After the election, the two houses were still locked, right? So the, the election had no effect. So they had a joint session, as the laws require, of both houses in August 1974, where six of the bills which caused all the hassle in the first place were narrowly passed. Hey! Government! No! Because when the Senate and the House of Representatives went back to their corners, the, the deadlock continued. The Senate had not learned its lesson at all. In October 1975, the opposition under Malcolm Fraser in, uh, in the Senate kept slapping down appropriation bills passed by the House. Now, this reminds me of a situation. Oh, that's Fraser, is it? Yep. Check out Carter in the background. <laughs> oh, he's either looking at the sun or he's not happy. One of those two things, right? Yeah. Um, he's Fraser thinking about his brother there. Billy drinking beer or somebody getting his peanut has butter. I don't know. Res resting contempt face. Yeah. Yeah. Contempt um, or constipation, I don't know. Something like that, yeah. But it reminds me of a situation happening now in, in America. Um, mm. if I could just check my Twitter thing, which I just bookmarked here from the Washington Post, our old favorite. It says yeah. here, the U.S. government will run out of money to meet all its payment obligations on June 5 this year if Congress does not raise the debt ceiling. So this is effectively the Australian version of raising the debt ceiling, sending appropriation bills to the Senate. So when the Senate blocks them, they're not just blocking labor bills, they're blocking the government's ability to function. It's a, it's a, it's a, that's kind of what they're doing, right? It's called supply. The amount of the government's ability to do things is called supply. Now, so it, but it sounds like one party is extorting the other almost. But they're not even extorting leverage. Like they're not, they're, they're just wanting gone. Like yeah. they may have thought they were stopping the Labour Party, but they were stopping the government and the civil infrastructure from functioning correctly. So all the cops and all the teachers and all the nurses just wouldn't get paid, right? right. The federal yeah. Senate had never blocked supply before 1975, even when it was controlled by the opposition. And then you'll find that in um, in the American experience as well, that when the debt ceiling, it's always getting passed by, uh, if if the Democrats are in opposition, they'll always pass the debt ceiling. Even if they're in opposition, they don't use it as a thing to fuck up the things. But this is, what, this is what's going on in Australia in 1975. Fraser, that right. guy there, said they would keep, am I pointing at him? Huh? Yes, I'm pointing at him, sorry. Fraser, yeah. that man there, <laughs> said they would keep doing this until Whitlam called another election. They also asked uh, the Governor General, John Kerr, to dismiss Whitlam unless, wait now, what have we got here? Is that That's John Kerr? John, yes, My John God. Kerr. I've never seen what he looks like before. And let me tell yeah. you, what I'm about to tell you about John Kerr, that's what he looks like. <laughs> right? Uh, they also asked, Fraser also asked the Governor General, John Kerr, to dismiss Whitlam unless he agreed. Uh, Whitlam could not imagine that Kerr would ever dismiss him. And Kerr did nothing to make him think otherwise, because it would be pretty much inconceivable, right? I do not right. think you know what that word means. On the 2nd of November, Fraser held a meeting of his allies. He urged his senators to continue to vote down the supply bills. He also recommended that if Whitlam called a half-Senate election, his governors should not sign the election forms, which would block the elections in four of the Australian states which did not have Labour governors. Now, when I said a half-Senate election, it sounds like a half-Senate election is just a regular Senate election, but in Australia, they elect in half the Senate at a time. So when you say a half-Senate election, they mean that's just, that's, there's nothing, it sounds fishy, but it's completely fine. That's not the fishy part of this, right? Right. Um, but if they did have a half-Senate election, the uh, that this uh, the guy we previously saw, Fraser, told the guys who were governors and states in his party not to hold those elections, right? This is basically coup territory already, right? Right, right. Um, Fraser then proposed to Whitlam that they would vote through supply if Whitlam held a general election of the lower house at the same time as the half-Senate election. Whitlam, his party at the time besieged by political scandals and a bad economic performance perceived to be his fault, rejected the idea, right? According to Fraser, Kerr asked him 
whether he, if commissioned prime minister, could secure supply, would immediately thereafter advise a double dissolution election, another one, and would refrain from new policies and investigations of a Britain government pending the election. Fraser said that he, he agreed. Kerr denied the telephone call ever took place. John Kerr, right. this man here we're looking at here, denied that telephone call ever took place. Right. Although, although, although it would have been, although it would have been kind of what you'd expect them to be talking about anyway. Like it's not a big secret or anything, but he did deny that the telephone call took place. On the 11th of November, 1975, Whitlam called a half Senate election to break the deadlock. When he went to Carr to sign the election order, Carr, this is now, he, he went to Carr to just say, okay, sign this, thanks very much and go home again. Carr instead dismissed him as prime minister, basically fired him and handed the government to Fraser. Carr says that Whitlam, during this meeting where it was explained that he could not govern a country with no budget, threatened to call the Queen and have him, John Kerr, recalled. Right. Kerr responded that he could call whoever he liked because he wasn't Prime Minister anymore as of 10 seconds ago, <laughs> and no one was under any obligation to listen to anything he had to say. Whitlam denies that he ever threatened Kerr with the Queen, right? But again, he might have done, but he says he didn't. Yeah. There's, there's, so John Kerr, though, th this guy, uh, first off, I really wonder if that's actually the uniform that he had to wear or just one that he made up. <laughs> he just likes the little badges. Yeah. Like uh, Marshal Zukov in uh, yeah. the Soviet Army, he just likes wearing. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. He was a, the biggest simp for the fucking queen. He yeah. used to write her fucking novels of oh, just shit. Yeah, I'm, I'm yeah. gonna tell you. And about, a lot I'm of them. Tell you about some of those novels. Oh, okay, okay. Go, go ahead. I, yeah, go there ahead. was. They're called the Palace Letters. Right. The Palace Letters were the novels that uh, John Kerr wrote to the queen, and they were they were locked up in. Um, legal things, nobody could um, read them or anything, but they were declassified by court order, right? In 2020, which is quite recent, in 2020, the palace letters, the personal correspondence between John Kerr and the Queen, were declassified on the order of an Australian court. In these letters, Kerr was clearly considering dismissing Whitlam several weeks before the dismissal. The dismissal, by the way, uh, is capital T, capital D. It has its own <laughs> page, just type in the dismissal into Google and the Australian thing will come up if you want. Kerr was clearly considering dismissal, uh, dismissing Whitlam several years, uh, several weeks before the dismissal, but for some reason refused to communicate this possibility to him. He never said anything to him about it. The Solicitor General of Australia had advised Carr that there was no legal basis for the use of those dismissal powers of the Governor General. The Queen disagreed in the letters mm. and said she, he did indeed have those powers, but offered no suggestions about whether or not he should use them. Here is a hammer. Do what you want with it, mate. Right. Uh, in any case, Fraser was now in charge. Before Manny and Whitlam's party discovered that the government had changed hands, Fraser managed to get a bunch of bills passed and then called for another double dissolution in a general election. Right, so he, even um, this guy, John Kerr, did not tell Whitlam what was gonna happen or that the possibility of it was real. Fraser did not tell any of Whitlam's coalition partners or indeed Whitlam himself that he had now become in charge of the country. Oh shit. Well, he would have, yeah, I mean, Whitlam would have known, but a lot yeah. of Whitlam's not because he was there. But a lot of, um, of Whitlam's allies were not, to were not told. Fraser ran over, did his bills, and then called a double dissolution election. Kerr sent his secretary to read out the dissolution in front of Parliament and ended with the traditional God save the Queen. Whitlam, who was standing behind the secretary, said, Well, may we say, this is a quote from Whitlam, who was standing behind the guy announcing the dissolution. Well, may we say God save the Queen, because nothing will save the Governor General. The proclamation which you have just heard read by the Governor General's secretary was countersigned Malcolm Fraser, who will undoubtedly go down in Australian history from Remembrance Day 1975 as Carr's Carr. They won't silence the outskirts of Parliament House, even if the inside has been silenced for a few weeks. Maintain your rage and enthusiasm for the campaign for the election now to be held until polling day. So he was very angry, in other words. Yeah, maintain your rage and enthusiasm. Uh, maintain your rage and enthusiasm yeah. is a great line for, for people yeah. who are heading into an election campaign. 
Yeah. That's yeah, like what like what Hunter Thompson said, are the two driving forces behind any political democracy are fear and loathing, right? Yep. Um, after a tense campaign where letter bombs were sent to Carr and Fraser, Fraser's party won the election convincingly, let's be honest, in a free and fair election. He did smash it for reasons yep. related to what I said before about the political scandals and the perceived uh, fault of Whitlam, the economy, which not getting into it, but sometimes... True, and, and, and I'm sure people probably saw this, Al Whitlam handled this as probably some sort of incompetence as well, right? That he can't yeah, for it. yeah, it does, you know, it, people, does look like, it does look bad for Whitlam that he was basically fired. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and a lot of people and, have and, that power. right? And like a lot of people weren't calling this a coup; they were just calling this as you know, you screwed up, brother. This is what happens. Yeah. Oh, even you know, now, this, conservatives yeah. in Australia right now oh, yeah. don't see anything wrong with this. A lot of them are like yep. they they say, "Oh no, this is fine. This is exactly what should have happened." And I'm like, "Good yep. God, man, you really want?" Oh, well, we'll talk about that in a second. Yep, it's all Paul anyway. the wheels of government, right? Yes. Yeah. The yeah. point is, Fraser's party won uh, a fair election, convincingly. Fraser won the election fair and square. Don't like to admit it, but let's be let's tell the yep. truth. And that ended the deadlock, obviously. Years later, Paul Keating, Minister for Northern Australia under Whitlam, and he was a Prime Minister himself for a while, he called the dismissal a coup. That's the word he used. And he's and he raised the idea that to arrest Kerr and lock him up, adding that he would not have taken it lying down if he was Prime Minister at the time. So that was there was a lot a of anger, shade. a lot of people saying that this was a breach of his his powers, you know. Yeah. Now this is a CIA FBI podcast, and a lot of you might be wondering, Barry, this is all terribly uh, uninteresting. But in what way does this relate to what we're doing here? So, um, what I've done is I've put together a, a, a top ten reasons the CIA wanted Whitlam gone, and maybe did something about it. Right? Right. John Carr denied any involvement with the CIA in the dismissal. He just completely denied it. Uh, the uh, the, Aust the Australian Intelligence Services was called ASIO, ASIO, right? The ASIO yeah. during the 1970s, Edward Woodward, also denied any CIA involvement. In 2015, uh, Australian diplomatic and military historian Peter Edwards called the idea that the CIA and the MI6 leaned on Kerr an enduring conspiracy theory, right? That sounds like our kind of party, does not, Seamus? Yeah. Yeah, so let's have a look at this. The CIA was implicated, basically, by some socialists in Australia because Whitlam was a threat to US interests in the region. In the region. So let's have a look at the top 10 reasons the CIA might want Whitlam gone, okay? Straight in number 10, he abolished the White Australia policy, which was an immigration protocol which openly favored white people over Asians. Arthur Caldwell, the Minister for Immigration in 1947 said, uh, we have 25 years at most to populate this country before the yellow race are down upon us. Jesus right? Christ. Oh, he perhaps even more famously said, two Wongs don't make a white. Oh, God damn. This was 1947, and that was the White Australia policy, and they got rid of that, and instead he wanted people to come in from everywhere, and that's of course, is anathema to American interests. You sure this was not America? Well, in, in very recent memory, uh, an American yeah. president signed an order that no planes from Muslim countries would land. Uh -huh. So, yeah. oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I remember Elvis episode, that was so much fun. Yeah. Uh, number nine. Whitlam established the Australian Schools Commission, which was designed to promote equality in education and abolished university fees. Right? That again would be antithetical to the interests of how the dare he. free education. How, how dare, he. dare he? Number eight, he recognized the People's Republic of China. That's a big fuck up. Yep. Yeah. Number seven, he established a system of universal health care. Fucking fascist. Yeah, you know, all the things that might line you up for CIA coup. Fucking <laughs> fascist. Yeah. Did you say fascist? <laughs> <laughs> All the things that might line you up for yeah. a CIA coup, right? But there's more. 
uh, very sm some more very specific things. At number six, one of the first things Whitlam did after his election in 1972 was pull all Australian troops out of Vietnam. His ministers also released statements criticizing US policy in Vietnam, in particular the bombing mm. campaigns, and one of them called them corrupt and barbaric, which of course would appear to be true. Um, number five, after the 1974 double dissolution election, a guy called Jim Cairns became deputy prime minister. Henry Kissinger, who is 100 years old today, right? Let me tell you when we're recording this podcast. Henry Kissinger is 100 yeah. years old today. He was the Secretary of State at the time, and he's still alive, I guess. He claimed Cairns yeah, yeah. was a radical with strong anti-American and pro-Chinese sympathies. That's the quote from Kissinger, right? Right. Yeah. yeah. Number four, uh, in 1973, Whitlam ordered all Australian security operations in Chile to close down. Now, the Chile thing is important for reasons which we will explain in a future podcast. But they had been working, the Australian um, intelligence people had been working with the CIA against Salvador Allende, yeah. a thing called Operation Fubelt, which was a part of the larger Operation Condor, which is, uh, we're going to be talking about all this in future podcasts, but it's basically a long-term operation of the CIA to turn over every single government in South America. Um, and the, the Australians were involved in the Chile operation, which you may know was a, happened on September uh, 11th, 1973. Mm. Um, number three, Whitlam ordered his own intelligence agency, right, ASIO, to be raided by police, possibly yeah. suspecting CIA interference. This is that pissed off a lot of people, including oh, yes. the, the people there, yes. which might have, you know, pretty oh, much yeah. tipped so his he, hand. He basically, yeah. he didn't antagonize his own intelligence agencies, but yeah. the reaction will tell you, you know, uh, this mm -hmm. is, now he, he, he probably suspected some CIA interference in ASIO operations. This is substantiated by the CIA reaction to the raid, which in theory had nothing to do with the CIA at all. But the CIA chief of counterintelligence said that the raid had threatened to destroy the delicate mechanism of internal security. <laughs> why would the CIA have a reaction like that at all to like uh -huh. Australian cops invading Australia? It doesn't have to do with them. Why would they this care? Guy, it's Australia. Right? This CIA, yeah. I certainly don't care. <laughs> Sorry. Australia is fine. <laughs> this CIA chief referred to Whitlam as a serious threat to US interests and tried to get rid of him by asking the director general of ASIO, Peter Barber, the guy in charge of Australian yeah. intelligence, to lie about Whitlam's involvement in the raid, but Barber refused to do so. Can you repeat that quote just one more time? What Which do they label him as? A serious threat to, to U.S. What? interests. That right there is like a death warrant. That's like a death sentence. It's, so many people that usually, usually get whacked before, right, after cool, that. right? Yeah, yeah, or yeah. an assassination or something. Uh, Kerr denies not, any CIA involvement in what he did, and the Woodward also denies any involvement. And there are Australian professional military historians who call it a conspiracy theory, and they just think it's ridiculous to even suggest it. But I'm giving you all the reasons why it's not ridiculous to suggest it, and it might even be yeah. almost definitely what, something that happened, right? Would, what about uh, Kerr's involvement uh, with two organizations linked to the CIA? I did I, not mention that. Yep. In the, in he the was in the. Uh, Please tell me more. Yeah. He was in the uh, culture of Congress, or no, sorry, the Conger, uh, the Congress of Culture is an right. organization that was started by the CIA, right? Yes. That protests Western ideas, right? To keep a lot of the, right. the whole. The, re white, the reason I didn't whiteness. mention that yeah. is because um, I don't think Kerr would have known that it was funded by the CIA. It doesn't mean it doesn't mean it wasn't influenced by it. That you know is true. I mean? Yeah, but and I he was also part of. Uh, I think it's La Asia. I forget how it's spelled, but it's pronounced La Asia. It was also like a, a um, it's literally like a bunch of attorneys and stuff doing a lot of Western different things. Like it was also, liberal thing. Yep. Yep. Uh, it was also so run by the CIA. So two different sure. organizations that were funded by the CIA. And, and the latter, I believe it was Wall Street said that, uh, they're not Wall Street, but the Wall Street Journal actually said that, that organization was. So I mean, it's not okay. like 
And this yeah. is a John Kerr thing. He was in both of those yes, organizations funded by the CIA. Yes, sir. Well, one, if you're in one organization funded by the CIA, I guess that's an accident. But if you're in two yeah. of them, that's looking careless, right? Yeah. The other thing is, I guess he he was uh, he grew up uh, very much communist or communist sympathizer. Then he what sure. you know, spent time, yeah, and then he spent time in the military at war, and he came out fucking okay. you know radicalized. Uh, oh, you know, okay. Fucking you know his head up the queen's skirt, obviously, as we've mm. kind of already gone on. He was also yeah. a, ver a very terrible drunk. Uh, he possibly drunk. had it. He possibly had a crush on the, the prince. I mean, there's all kinds of just weird shit about the guy. Uh, I he did was, not he was, go into was, that kind of detail at all. Yeah, he, he's he's fucking out there. There's a lot. Okay. I guess he got heckled in his last uh, public appearance because he was such a mess. Uh -huh. And a lot of this stuff had come to light, you know, since. So time yeah. time didn't age well for him, fortunately. It was clearly he clearly had a thing about the queen. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Some obvious issues, I think. So yeah. So um, Barber, the head of Australian intelligence, refused to shop Whitlam to the CIA, although he was asked oh. to do so. Number two, in 1974, Whitlam ordered Barber to completely cut off the CIA to stop working with them. Barber did not follow the order, and uh, the ASIO and the CIA cooperated in secret from there on. Um, in 1975, Whitlam threatened to reveal the identities of CIA agents working in Australia. Mm. That would have been a serious threat to CIA operations, not just oh, to yeah. Australia, obviously. That's a serious thing to do. But well, he did say, get out of my country. And after that, I guess it's open season, right? I mean, he's entitled to do that. Can, can I ask a question? I know this is going to maybe sound maybe go a lot there. Um, if it wasn't for the fact that it was Australia linked to the UK and that he was white, don't you think he'd have been shot? <laughs> I mean, some of the shit we're just saying, like, you know, if this would have been like Latin America or oh, yeah, Middle he'd be East. Gone. Yeah, I just... He'd be gone just with the social, with the, just with the nationalization yeah. of healthcare and the education system. That's enough. Yeah, he'd be gone. But but I mean, hmm. he just keeps up in ante, you know, in a very yeah. short period of time. Because it's, it's because I think it's because he's an Anglo. It saved him a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, Anglo in, in a particular like what, what you call what do you call the place in a war that like was the American by the English UK. kind of Western European white kind of thing. I call them Anglo's. What do you call them? White I'll people, go with that. Yes. I don't yeah. white people. I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe, maybe, maybe that yeah. saved him. I mean, yeah, if that would happen in Latin America, he'd be gone already. They, they'd never find right. his body, man. No. Yeah, and there'd be a general in charge. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. A <laughs> governor general. John Kerr would be in charge of the country. Yeah. Oh man, that guy's that guy's real hunter material, isn't he? Um, so yeah, he threatened to reveal the agent, the identity of the CIA agents. And number one, uh, in 1973. This is, I think, possibly what really annoyed the CIA more than anything else. In 1973, the U.S. Secretary of State told Richard Nixon that Whitlam's government would try to throw overboard all military alliances and eject our highly classified U.S. defense space installations from Australia, right? So what does that mean? In 1974, um, he threatened, Whitlam, threatened not to renew the lease of the U.S. spy base at Pine Gap in Australia, which was due to expire in December. The station was used to monitor signals from anti-aircraft and anti-missile systems, but it could also monitor telephone signals. Much later, obviously, Edward Snowden would reveal that Pine Gap was one of the stations used to illegally monitor telephone signals worldwide. Right, So Whitlam was correct to shut down Pine Gap. A CIA officer who helped run the facility said that this threat caused apoplexy in the White House. And you were telling me about that before, weren't you? Oh, yeah. Well, they, they were already pissed off at uh, Whitlam yeah. day one because of... Uh, you know, whenever he came in office was about the time of the uh, Christmas bombing. And, and, yeah, uh, in, in Vietnam. Uh, North Vietnam, yeah. So um, 
they at first he was gonna come out publicly against him, but he said, No, I'm mm. gonna send him a letter. So he sent Nixon a letter. Yeah. And Nixon and uh, you know, old Hanky there, Hanky Poo there, uh read the letter and got it's fucking just... furious. Yeah. Uh Nixon labeled the uh, Australia as number two on his shit list below Vietnam. Vietnam because, and Australia number two. Yeah, because of a fucking letter. <laughs> well, we don't know what you don't know is that Henry Kissinger had a secret shit list that had Laos uh, and Cambodia on it. Well, that's true too. Yeah, yeah. But this is apparently they also hit the roof when they heard this that he wanted to shut down. And I know, oh, yeah. by the way, any country in Ireland who has a spy base, we're entitled to shut that down whenever we want to. Right. Fuck those guys. But they caused apoplexy in the White House and a kind of Chile coup was set in motion, right? With the CIA and MI6 working together. This is what the CIA officer said to get rid of Whitlam. The US was also concerned about Whitlam's intentions towards its spy base at Nurengar, as well as Pine Gap. Leaked US Department of Defense documents later revealed that satellites controlled by Pine Gap and Nurengar were used to pinpoint targets for bombings in Cambodia. Hmm. So if you don't want to bomb Cambodia, get rid of those facilities, right? Right. Cambodians never did nothing to me, man. Christopher Boyce, who was a Russian spy monitoring cable traffic to the CIA in America, said that the CIA wanted Whitlam removed because he threatened to close U.S. military bases in Australia, what I was just talking about. He Do you know, that you know who he was? Christopher Boyce? That's all I have, yeah. man, a Russian spy. Tell so, me more. Uh, have you ever heard of the movie um, The Snowman and the Falcon? Yes. Falcon That's and him. Snowman. Yep, the Falcon and That's him. That's him. Oh, okay. And, and the whole reason that he became a spy is because of this, because... He realized that we were spying on Australia. Yeah. And he was like, that's our ally. That's not what I signed up for. Yeah. So he worked for the Russians. Yep. Cool. Did you have you seen the movie? No, I have not. No, no, I've right. heard it's really good. Um anyway, this I, guy I did is... read uh, I did read about his life story and shit that happened, you know, after it was down. It's, oh, it's fucking crazy. Okay. Fucking crazy. Him and his well, him and his fucking uh <laughs> Say again? stoner buddy. His fucking stoner buddy. Oh, he's uh, the snowman. The snowman. Well, oh, he's the falcon, yeah. isn't he, Christopher Boyce? Yeah, Boyce is the falcon and uh, the, snowman. the snowman. All right. Yeah. Um, well, he was intercepting CIA things, and uh, he's, he claimed that Carr was described by this, John Carr, the governor general, was described by the CIA as our man Carr. Uh, Jonathan uh-huh. Quitney wrote in The Crimes of Patriots, which is a, a good book for other reasons, that the CIA paid for Carr's travel, built his prestige, and that Carr continued to go to the CIA for money. Right. In 1974, and that was the number one reason, by the way, that now we're back to the regular podcast. Uh-huh. In, oh, oh, <laughs> the man the Elvis thing. in 1974, the U.S. sent Marshall Green as ambassador to Australia. Green had a central role in the 1965 coup against President Sukarno in Indonesia, and we will probably be talking about that in a future podcast. Uh-huh. Green was all, dude, you Green was also the senior American diplomat in South Korea at the time of the 1961 coup there, which we probably won't be talking about. In 1977, which is after all this dismissal stuff, United States right, Deputy right. Secretary of State Warren Christopher told Whitlam, on behalf of Jimmy Carter, who was also in one of your photos there, that the U.S. would never again inter- hey, Jimmy Carter, would never again <laughs> interfere with Australia's democratic processes. Right? He said, "The U.S. will never again interfere with Australia's democratic again. processes." The w- again. use of the word "again" would appear to admit that the U.S. had previously interfered in Australia's democracy, and the fact that this was delivered to Whitlam personally would point towards a direct reference to the dismissal. I don't know how else yeah. you could possibly interpret what that meant, but anyway, in the 1980s, yeah, for it, it's a little slip up there. It's yeah, or maybe, maybe not. Maybe yeah. maybe like some of these guys are so confident in their fuckery that they don't see the need to necessarily hide it. True. Like Donald Trump doesn't. I don't think Donald Trump is hiding anything. I think if he was up to f- corruption and 
that kind of thing. He would advertise it on his Twitter. That's, sure. uh, that's something I've said. If he's up to anything, you will know immediately. Anyway, in the 1980s, senior CIA officers revealed that the Whitlam problem had been discussed with urgency by the CIA's director, William Colby, and the head of MI6, Sir Morris Oldfield. There's Whitlam again. Yep. Now, so I want to ask you, Seamus, is given all this, and that Kerr said the CIA had no role to play, and that the intelligence operation chief at the time, a guy called Woodward, said that the CIA had no role to play, and that a military historian of Australia said it's a, it's a conspiracy theory, giving everything I've just told you, did the CIA play a role in dismissal? Fuck yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Like, I mean, it seems, to... seems that it obviously did. And what, yeah. what's even worse, because what you said earlier is true, if he was in Latin America, he would have been taken out in 1974. They wouldn't yeah. have waited for the dismissal. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, there's just no way. There's way too much smoke yeah. there. You know, with them, with ACO involvement, you know, yeah. they knew about uh, us propping up, uh, you know, douche canoe here, Carter. Right? Yes. Yeah. And trying to get rid of uh, Whitman. Yes, you know, weeks before it did. Yeah. Like, he was trying to claim that he kind of did it almost on a dime because he was threatened with the Queen. And it turned out that he was planning, not planning it, I guess, but aware of that he might have to do it for weeks beforehand. He never told Whitlam. Yeah, a lot of Australians think that there. that was the biggest problem in the whole thing. Not that it happened, but that Kerr never informed Whitlam. Right. And, and, well, that, I mean, and uh, what's, the, what's the guy's name, Green? He doesn't just come to your country to, for visits. No. You know, that, that fucker comes in there to get down. flipped Indonesia in a very yeah. violent and horrible coup. Yeah, didn't he, do, he did shit in Greece, too, didn't he? Was he part of that um, operation? I'm not sure. Is that the same guy? I think so. I don't know. I, I, I think there was like a handful of We will be talking about him again. I can tell you that. that. Oh, yeah. Mm. That's John Kerr. He looks like exactly the way I've described what he did. That's exactly what you'd expect him to look like, isn't it? Yeah. He's like a sort of a... Uh, Peter used to know that melted in the sun. <laughs> <Isn't he? laughs> right. Yeah. Oh so that's, my God. that's all I have to say about the dismissal. All right. That's uh, that the, that the main body of our show. Will we move on to the next bit? Oh, uh, yeah. Uh, okay. Yeah. What's happening what this week? This week. The week in news. The week. This week. What's new? This is the part of the show where uh, me and Seamus put CIA, the word CIA, and FBI into Google, hit the news tab, and see what comes up, just to let you all know that what we're talking about is history, but the fuckery continues this week. Okay? So do you want to go first, or do you want me to go first? Uh, well, I got really two. Uh, one, the, uh, I think it's the Durham uh, report against the, against the FBI has come out. Uh, so there's we're getting into the weeds on that. Uh, January 6th stuff. Yeah. Uh, Black Lives Matter and just some, you know, fuckery as usual. Uh, hopefully we'll know more soon. Uh, the only other thing that uh, apparently uh, there was a plot to kill the queen. A plot to kill the queen, toured, okay. When she toured here in the U.S. in the 80s, uh, for some reason, the okay. FBI decided the fort and stopped that sort of, you know, shenanigans. I mean, how, how many assassins? I mean, I mean. How many other assassinations has the FBI been been okay with it? With you know, for <laughs> oh, yeah, we had, we had they, a... <laughs> uh, yeah, uh, it's it just seems a little selective that they wanted to step in on this one. I don't know. Yeah. Well, whatever. Well, she's a white lady, so gotta protect so, yeah, the white that, ladies, right? That that's about it. Yeah. Oh, okay. Will we go CIA? Go for it. Okay, my first CIA story of the week is, and remember, we're recording this at today. Henry Kissinger is 100 years old. So today, the story is 
a man accused of trespassing at a Virginia preschool had an AK-47 in his car and told officers he was headed to the CIA. Officers found Sandow, who told them he was making his way to the CIA, police said. The CIA's headquarters is located about a mile away in Langley, an unincorporated community in Fairfax. Turns out he just went, he just stopped into the children's school to go to the bathroom on his way to the CIA right. with a gun. So maybe it's just as well for everybody that he was uh, stopped there. I don't know if you should, approach, to... uh, you should approach a school when you have an AK-47, but that's, yeah, that's why, just me. Why, why did he go to the gas station or something? That's some... I'm going to guess this guy is not weird. thinking clearly. Yeah. Uh, another one is... Um, a leaked report says that the CIA does not know if Israel plans to bomb Iran. Now, whether Israel, whether yet they are, okay. Whether Israel's escalating threats of war with Iran over its nuclear program are saber rattling or something more serious is a mystery. Even to the CIA, it's not. It's that they've done it before. They've bombed Iran before. So then, you know, it's not like they. Oh no, they'll never bomb Iran. You know, yeah, they would. But, but why would they even say that? No one. No one, uh, no one gives a shit because it's Israel. They can do whatever they want, right? But why even say that? It just. Why say you don't know that they're if they're going to do this if they're not going to do it? You know, or I don't know well, why the CIA would say would release a statement saying we don't know. Yeah. I mean, just don't make a statement. Yeah, it's bizarre. But yeah, Israel it's... will bomb Iran if they feel like it, and no one's going to stop them. Yeah, no, no one will stop them. No. Um, my third story is from rural Ireland again. Uh, hey. Yeah. Uh, the CIA were blamed for the presence of dead birds in a man's home, a Midlands court has been told. Balkayan Bushentuf, that's his name, uh, was charged with being intoxicated. <laughs> what? what, 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 what? Balkachem Bal Bushentuf. I think that that's not a common name. Uh, he's, he's not, uh, I mean, he might be Irish, but that's not an Irish name. I was going to say. Um, was hell? charged with being intoxicated in Tullamore Garda Station on June 22 of last year. <laughs> Um, he told me that the CIA had planted dead birds in his house. I talked to him for 20 minutes and told him that there's nothing I could do about that. <laughs> I asked him to leave, but he wouldn't. He told me to fuck off. <laughs> okay, so that's, that's, he, that's is he is no, Irish. Irish. <laughs> he is Irish. Irish. He told the guard to fuck off. Yeah, he's definitely Irish. And he was intoxicated, so yeah. Fair enough. Well, no, welcome to my country, Mr. Brokadoof. Uh, Congratulations, yeah. you're one of us now. That's it. That's my, uh, that's my CIA links for the week. Awesome. That's what's new. And I guess that is our show, unless yeah. you want to talk about something else. No, unless you do. Do you want to? No, we're all, I, I'm all dismissed up, man. That's the dismissal and the CIA connection to it. The series, the, <laughs> the series. network of CIA connections to the dismissal that apparently they had nothing to do with. So that's oh, it. That's oh, shit. Show, I guess. What's up? What? Uh, Pine, the other thing was Pine Gap, I guess, is like uh, Australia's uh, Area 51. Yeah. I guess there's like a but lot they don't of... Own it. Uh, they, the, the Americans own it. Right, but I guess there's like a lot of UFO activity and shit there. So, well, yeah, I didn't get into uh, that. Yeah, okay. I don't. Mm. I just felt like sharing. So, yeah, yeah. So, don't you? You make me sound like a dick. <laughs> Stop yelling at me. I'm going. I'm going to HR again after this. Fuck this. <laughs> HR every episode. Oh, <laughs> uh, I have like 27 <laughs> written warnings now. I know. We got to do no something change in behavior. Shit, right? No change in anything. Just it just keeps going yeah. on. Yeah. Do something about this pair. That's our show, folks. All right, we'll see y'all in uh, right, two weeks. We'll see you next week when we will be discussing about more CIA FBI fuckery. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Bye.